Good morning. I'm Stacy Lanier, and my husband, um, Dee and I, and our four kids are part of the Central Sharon Amity Community Group. I'm going to read uh, 1 Samuel 6, 1 Samuel 26, excuse me, um, the whole chapter. <clears throat> then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David, is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hekilah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hekilah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Joab's brother, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp of Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, will you not answer Abner? Then Abner answered, who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, are you not a man who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the Lord, your king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go, serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth, 
away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord and may deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, blessed be you, my son, David, you will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. The word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. Thank you, Stacy Lanier, for reading that long passage for us. As I said last week, it's incredibly important to us anyway. At Christ Central, your pastors, your leadership, your community group leaders, um, those who are helping care for you and us caring for one another, that we read the Word of God, that we hear um, the full context of things. Um, we live in a world, unfortunately, and I feel it. Sometimes I don't want you to have to listen to the whole thing. I'm afraid that you'll get bored. I'm afraid you'll say, you know, this church is too heady or academic and nobody's really listening and everybody's falling asleep. I get nervous of that. And so I'm tempted to just, you know, give you a little piece do what I call trampoline preaching where I drop one little word and then, you know, go off on it. But I think it's important that you see fully, especially in these narrative stories, um, what the Lord is saying. Um, you know, we can sit for multiple series of the Avengers or the Star Wars series and TV series and we can't wait till the other one. We can binge watch stuff, right? Um, and imagine how incomplete it would be if I just let you watch Star Wars sit two or, or Lord of the Rings one and then jump to three or something like that or read three first then jump back to one. You would be extremely confused and so that's why we tell you the whole story. We want you to see the whole thing as much as possible. And so once we're done with Samuel, you'll get a full picture, a, f a fuller picture of what God is doing and saying. And, and I, ain't, I ain't stupid. I mean, I know many of us, if not most of us, we ain't reading through Samuel on a daily basis, right? <laughs> we aren't sitting at home doing that. And so we do it here. And alas, I've talked too much about reading the scripture and added to the reading of the scripture. Um, but... Uh, we continue in our sermon series through the book of Samuel. And uh, these last couple of chapters have focused on um, David, the next king of Israel, and his engaging his enemy, um, Saul. But Saul is not just any enemy. His leadership, he is David's leadership, right? He's David's king. He's David's best friend's dad, 
someone who should have been like a mentor or father to him, who was positioned in that wing way, who has now turned against him and is trying to kill him. Could you imagine your friend's father, you're going over, you're hanging out, He's a cool person. Maybe your friend's father is like the coach or something of y'all's team. And all of a sudden he starts to hate on you. That, that would just be weird. Where David finds himself in this terrible balancing of God called respect for someone in Saul's position. Right. Someone whom he is called to honor and follow. Someone whom is off limits to kill and hate or dishonor. Yet, on the other hand, someone who has abused their position, someone who has used their authority for evil, who is tormented with pride and anger, who is out of control, who is disrespectful and oppressive and untrustworthy and violent and dishonest and who has a history of devaluing who David was. David's dilemma is where we live, right? Many of us. We are all daughters or sons or employees, or citizens, constituents, members historically oppressed where some of us are minorities and followers and submitted as husbands and wives and children. And yet in, in all of these relationships, we have felt and known And we'll know what David did know with Saul. The the reality of irreconcilable differences. Where reconciliation between each other in varying degrees may not happen until heaven. Even in a church like ours, Christ Central Church, which is planted with a vision of justice and equality and reconciliation, as we look forward to the picture of every ethnicity and tribe and tongue and language and political leaning gathered as one in heaven, heaven is where God's full vision of this church and the church universal finally happens. We believe that. And so we kind of walk towards that. But until then, We live because of sin and brokenness around and in us with irreconcilable differences. Those differences that we are called to not handle on our own or with our own good ideas or or instincts. But God has given us grace and guidance sometimes to walk through the hard reality that we can't and won't all just be able to get along and go along. From this passage before us, I've put together three points to help lead us. That number one, we must recognize that relational abuse enslaves us in irreconcilable differences. Secondly, vengeance does not free us from irreconcilable differences. And finally, the Lord alone provides freedom in our irreconcilable differences. Relational abuses enslave us. Number one, vengeance does not free us. And finally, the Lord alone provides freedom in these situations. Now, if you've been walking through this book with us the last few weeks, you may be feeling a little deja vu. 
Because didn't we just see and experience something just like this back in chapter 24, where Saul goes into the wilderness, you know, with his army to, to and, and you know what? He ends up in the same location as chapter 24 with his special forces to kill David. And David gets an opportunity to kill Saul. And the first time as Saul was relieving himself, and this time while Saul is in a deep sleep, and again, like before, David gets egged on by his crew to take advantage of what what they see is a gift from God opportunity to rid their lives of Saul. And David, once again, just like back in 24, pushes back and says, no, I cannot do this to God's anointed. And then he shows Saul that I could have killed you. But my commitment to God convinced me not to. And then he shows Saul how things shouldn't be like this and he shouldn't be like this and this is not just. And then Saul says, sorry. Okay, okay, I won't do it again. Come back. I'm a different man kind of stuff, right? Now, some Bible scholars out there say this is not a new account, right? This is not a different account from chapter 24. This must be, this is the same basic account encounter told by two different authors or, or, or two different ways, right? Two different um, ways of looking at the same situation. And you can see why they would think that if you were to read them together. Unless you have been in or experienced the grip of sinful and abusive, obsessive relationships, right? It's clinical that, that the same thing happens over and over again, right? And, and more often than not, the oppressor, the abuser, the strongholder returns to the pattern. But not only that, in many relationships, social or cultural or, or economic, the one being abused or exploited or used is drawn back in, right? They can't get out the vortex, goes back, can't leave, can't escape, and keeps getting involved with the same kind of person or situation, maybe not the same exact person, but the same situation, and is groundhogged into a deja vu of being violently treated or pursued or enslaved. But we are all, whether the sinner or the sinned against, chained or been chained or tied into, enslaved, we have all been tied into and enslaved by patterns of abuse in one way or another. Sometimes the reasons... Right, psychologically and spiritually, that people continue to be tied in into this thing, into these toxic relationships, are extremely complicated and peculiar. And frankly, beyond the time I have to unwind it and beyond my expertise, but like we see with Saul and David, and let me tell y'all, it's been years at this point. That the same situation has happened. That Saul is trying to kill David. That Saul wants to get rid of him. That Saul takes the whole army and chases him, right? That Saul has this thing against him. He's got this irritating uh, need to control and destroy David for his own good. And it won't go away. And we too can be kind of inextricably tied, right? Into abusive relationships between the privileged and, and denied, the powerful and the weak. It is the sad reality. I found sin between us and in us sort of glues us to this, can glue us rather, to this very uncomfortable and, and addictively evil and dangerous space. Maybe 
historically. It's historically with certain ethnic groups or, or maybe it's with your spouse or business dealings or, or you're involved in some romantic or sexual interest, whether it's real or virtual or fantasy between parents and children to you and, and, and credit companies, right? Racial and social and economic injust, uh, injustices along with all the child abuse and domestic abuse and on and on. Like David and Saul were locked and chained to this repeating and thus unresolved and unredeemed reality. David has what seems like an opportunity to be freed from the cycle. Look back at beginning at verse 5. What happens? Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner and the son, of, the, the son of Ner, the commander of the army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Abimelech, the Hittite, and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Jeriah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go with you. So David and Abishai went to the army that by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please, love this term, right? Let me pin him to the earth. <laughs> with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. And I'm going to take him out, right? But David said to him, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Do you see that? Right. David is telling us the whole, he's telling us what would happen. David would have sinned, been in the wrong and taking Saul's life through vengeance. He learned, obviously, through his relationship with the Lord, that vengeance, right, will not free you. Vengeance has in meaning as in seeking to inflict the same kind and sort and direction and sort of means of abuse on the person who abused you. Basically, it means to, to switch places with them in the same scenario. And switching places in the same scenario will not free you. Right? It, it, will, it will only keep you bound with them and it by you becoming oppressor and then them becoming oppressed. And, and true, let me tell you, you will no longer be abused or, or the oppressed or the used or the dogged. And, and that is a good feeling. But here's what David is saying. You will become and act like them. What has hated and hurt you will be your new master. It will drive you instead of justice. Because vengeance is seeking to do two things instead of just one. It is seeking an eye for an eye, give you back what you have dished out, give you know, your oppressor back what they have dished out, but it says, I am going to redeem my hurt by hurting them. 
Right? I am going to heal and fill up that hole. I am going to pay the emotional and mental and spiritual debt they have left me with by taking them out in an unjust manner. That's why David said that if we kill Saul, we will be guilty. He says, we, in other words, we will have to carry and live with that guilt. And hear me, guilt will live off and on us. It will change us into the oppressor. Or those who are that much more oppressed by it. He, he, he is saying, look, if we kill Saul, it will change us into Saul. His life, his life will actually own us. We'll have to take responsibility. We'll carry, right? It's almost like we'll have to carry his dead body around. But we won't just carry his dead body, which is metaphorically like carrying the life we take. We'll actually take it on as part of our responsible life the rest of our lives. As David stood over Saul. I want you to see this. What was he looking at? He was looking at the picture of the kind of king he would become if he killed the king that he didn't want to be like. He was looking at the picture of the kind of king he would become if he acted in vengeance towards the king that he didn't want to be like. Look at Saul's life then. What would venge, vengeance and take us to? See, Saul is the result of a vengeful, angry, and jealous lifestyle. Look at what David says in verse 17 with me. He says, Saul recognized David's voice. This is after he takes the spear and says, hey, I almost killed you. Wake up. Look at you. David said, it is my voice. Here we go. We, we talked about this in chapter 24. You can go back and hear that sermon two sermons ago. My Lord, O King. And he said, why does my Lord, Lord pursue after her, his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord, the King, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out of this day, out this day, that I should have no share, y'all hear that? In the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let my, not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the King of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge, in the mountains. I want you to think about it. Think about what David is saying. You are a king running after a flea. Look at yourself, Saul. What, what brought you to the point? You, you lay it all on the ground out in the woods. Instead of on, on your throne in the castle, you're not with your people li, li, living. Hear me. You're living on the road, right? You're, you're running after David. You're a king sleeping on, a on the ground with a spear and a jug of water. 
which means you're thirsty, right? The Bible is saying you are thirsty. You are unsatisfied. You are desperate. You are bloodthirsty. You're living wild. You're like an animal on the hunt and not a king because you are consumed with getting back at me for possibly taking the spotlight. I love the way he confronts Abner, right? I mean, think about this, and, and this is something I saw right towards the end I was, as I was walking, as, as Stacy was reading the scripture, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at that. Because sometimes when, when, when we're looking for get back on somebody else or, or looking to embarrass somebody else or humiliate somebody else or, 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 or seek freedom, I mean, where there's true injustice, seeking freedom through vengeful, like, like evil for evil um, activities on people, look, look. Think about this. Every one of us, and David confronts him and says, if God tells you, okay. But if you're following the voice of people, shame on you, right? That's a curse. That's bad. Think about this now. He's out there in the middle of the wilderness. And the Bible says his men are encamped around him. And his number one general, Abner, is bad, y'all. I'm telling you, Abner is, is like a, a, a fighting machine. He is special forces, right? He, he's, what's the, uh, the people with the president? He, he's the secret service, right? With the president right there. And the Bible says he's sleeping too. What's that tell you? Your gossip crew, right? Your a fight the power kind of crew, and not fight the power in a, in, a, in a good way like 1989, right? Another summer. Not that fight the power, right? I'm talking about the, the fight the power in evil ways. Like, let's go, let's just go stab them in the back. Let's go do something wrong. Let's throw something on Twitter. Let's throw something on, on TikTok or whatever. Let, let's, let's, let's get them back in, so, in some kind of way, right? That crew can't protect you. They will keep you on the run. Think about people who whisper in your ears something besides what, what God is calling for in reconciliation and healing biblically. It's always making you, hey, hey man, we got to go get him. We got to go, we, we got to take care of it, dog. You can't go out like that. You, you can't be no punk. You can't, whatever, right? You got to stand up for it. Be a man. And David says to Abner, right? Are you a man? You can't even defend your own king. Those who are stoking vengeance, they can't protect you. They actually leave you vulnerable to more hurt. David knows that if he simply reacts or he turns a sneak attack with a sneak attack, that if he unjustly kills the unjust killer, this would be his new burden and personality, and it would not free him, but that his lifestyle, like Saul's, would have baggage. It will not pay the debt because you thought it would. It, 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 will, it will simply add up to the, add to the frustration of it all. That's not freedom. That's not pure justice. You know, I can tell that there are hipsters moving into the neighborhood or into the community, into apartments and condos and these nice, cool bungalows that typically don't get much over 1,500 square feet? What else do you see beside condos going up? Storage buildings, right? When you see storage buildings going up, 
in the area. It, it's oftentimes a sign that a new crew is moving in, is gentrifying, something happened. Because, because they, why? Because they carry baggage as part of their lifestyle because it cannot fit in the apartment. It cannot fit in the condo. It can't fit in that little bungalow. It is too much, but you pay for it, right? It, it actually becomes part of living in the city. And even if you are not experiencing it on your everyday, let me tell you something about baggage and vengeance and anger, right? The bill comes due every month. It reminds you that you live in a place too small to hold your stuff. It reminds you, guess what? You got baggage that you can't let go of, right? The bill comes every month. And let me tell you how it comes. It comes in triggers, right? It comes in waves that say it is still there. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that that, that hurt, right? That, that if you have experienced real trauma in your life, sure, triggers and waves are part of it. And no one's saying that's a bad thing. But let me tell you, if you think that you're going to get rid of that, right? But, but with, 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 with vengeance, right? God has given us a better way. You, you, it will add to the baggage and it'll add to the triggers and the waves. It just increases it, and you are still carrying, you will still have to carry and pay for it emotionally and spiritually. And now you spend energy, like Saul, running around. That's why he got the jug of water. He's spending energy, critical energy, talking about it, right? We do it all the time, talking about it and gossiping about it and replaying it in our minds and slandering and sinning with obsessive regularity over it. It means it is not forgiven or dealt with, and you might be caught in a cycle of vengeance. And again, I'm not talking about when you've suffered true trauma and stuff is coming up. I'm not making a I'm not trying to make light of the cry for justice and need for reparation. But I am saying what David is implying and describing vengeance as guilt giving. And boy, we are a vengeful society. You know why? Because in the virtual world, you can do sneak attacks all the time. You can put a spear through anybody's head, right? And, and, and you know, I, and I am, please hear me, I am not speaking ill against any protest or anything like that. Um, there's, we'll talk about, drop it real quick in, in the sermon about the place for protest. But I just want you to know that sometimes, and David is bringing this out by having his soul army, sometimes there is a mob mentality. And I know people use the term mob to discount justified protest. They just the mob, right? No, I think that's wrong too. But there is a mob mentality where sometimes when you're in a group of people, you can stab real quick and pull back and nobody can see you. It's sort of this anonymous right? Assassination of people's character. And right now, y'all, yeah, I had a pastor friend. None of this is in here. So just give me a minute. I had a pastor friend tell me, he's a pastor like me uh, in in our denomination of a multi-ethnic church. His church hasn't been there as long. You know what he got up and said? What was it? Last Sunday? He said, y'all, diverse church, it's election season. I really don't know if we're going to make it as a church. 
I don't know. There's going to be a bunch of knives in people's backs. That's going to be the new church. We can't have backs on the chairs to make space for the knives, right? Blue lot, lot, blue uh, knives and red knives sticking out of everybody's back. Right? You know, and here's the problem. We don't have or possess in and of ourselves what it takes to get past or over true abuse and toxicity and damage. You know, we typically end up wrecking ourselves with addiction and vices and just going on to another bad relationship or situation or, 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 or rotting. See, the Bible, the Lord is not calling us or instructing you and me to dig deeper or move on or get over it or forgive like it is a free radical mechanism or part or part that can be bought and shipped Amazon Prime, like a video game Easter egg or code that must be located on your own to unlock things. No, this is Christianity and it is about some one saving us when we're tied into these situations where we only see vengeance and returning evil for evil as the only way out why because we are wanting and David is this story is communicating the Bible is communicating and we're needing more than we or any person can actually give us I mean, we need a justice and healing that only the Lord can open up to us in our world and give us in these really toxic and abusive relationships. Again, this is way above my pay grade, way above my time to get into, that if you've been in these kind of relationships, it will take counseling. It will be a painful road. It will be hard, like David right now. It will be like living in a wilderness where you're still trying to find your home, emotionally and spiritually and mentally. So I'm not making light of that. I'm just saying that turning back to turn evil, it, 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 turn your evil to make it, kill or, or hurt, I mean, fix the evil that have been getting done against you is not freedom. And this deja vu episode tells us that Saul was not, here's what's hard, Saul was not going to stop until David was dead. Or until David was forever enslaved and imprisoned to him. But what I want you to see is that David's death, continued abuse or imprisonment, or Saul's revenge death, reverse abuse or imprisonment, was not going to fix the situation. David basically tells us this in verse 10. Let's look at verse 10. And David said, as the Lord lives, you hear this? The Lord will strike Saul, or his day will come, to die. And he will go down into battle and perish. Right? In other words, the Lord is going to have to deal with Saul. I cannot fix this strained and sinful relationship. But look at what David says to Saul in verse 20. Look at this. Now, therefore, he basically tells him, why are you chasing me? You chasing me ain't right. He says in verse 20, now, therefore, let not my blood, David, fall to the ground away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Right? 
I want you to hear both sides of this now, right? So I've, I've given a lot of, of weight on, hey, don't, don't seek vengeance after the person who's the abuser or the oppressor, right? No, don't, don't try to return evil for evil. Don't you become an abuser of the abuser, right? That, that's what I'm, I'm saying. But look at what he's saying here. David is saying, not only will vengeance against Saul not fix this thing and make it worse in me, at the same time, Neither will my death and letting myself continue to be killed to give myself over to Saul or let you, Saul, keep going off after and going off on me and keep chasing me. Neither will that be good or is good for you and me and good to God either. Me being mistreated and staying in this situation is not good. David says this back in chapter 24 in our deja vu chapter, right? Let God and God's justice, let's call it God's space, right? Let that space that God occupies judge and he says, go in between us. And then look at the last, chap- last verse here in this chapter. Uh, I'm going to go all the way to the end. It says, then Saul said to David, blessed be you, my son. And early he says, David, come back home. You will do many things and we'll succeed in them. He's like, you're great, David. I get you. I believe in you. He's almost saying, you you deserve to have the dignity that God gives you. You deserve to be free. You demand. And then it says what? So David went. So, right? David went his way. And Saul returned to his place. It's sad, right? Saul asked David to come back and that he is sorry. But the Bible says David went his way and Saul went his, back to his place. Saul went back to being Saul, (laughs) y'all. They had to split. David had to live apart from Saul. He had to live with irreconcilable differences. He had to not be in his own country, among his own people the way he wanted to. Because it would mean that he would risk giving his God-ordained and called life what God was doing in his life. And how God would be able to do and serve the kingdom, the country, and the people through him. Now, y'all, it meant David lived in the wilderness, and we're going to see some of this. So I'm not trying to say it's an easy situation when you say, hey, look, I'm not going to be abused anymore. I'm not going to be oppressed anymore. I'm not going to be mistreated anymore. God doesn't demand that of me for you to find God and feel good about yourself. In fact, if I stay in this position of being controlled and manipulated and poisoned in this relationship, guess what? It'll be bad for not only you and me, it it doesn't fit into God's plan for, for you and me and his plan for the community 
city. I can't stay. But guess what? I'm going to have to live in a wilderness. Now, people of God, let me tell you, if people are beginning to walk away from toxic relationships, insecure relationships, all kind of romantic living with this person and that person, all kind of relationships that are built on addictive uh, uh, behaviors and, and sexuality, uh, twisting things. I'm telling you right now, they will be in a wilderness and we have to be a halfway house and place where they can live. That ain't in there either. But he's saying, look at, look at, look at verse 24. Okay, this is incredible. In verse 24, he says this. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, I didn't kill you. So my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. David's saying my life, what God has done and is doing in creating me, made in his image and likeness, crowned with his glory, calling and sustaining me, is precious. And some of you, you ain't heard that in a long time. You hadn't felt or recognized that in a long time. You are precious. Your life is precious. You know what you do with precious stuff? You put it away. You take care of it. You don't throw it on the ground. You don't put mud on it. You don't mistreat it. But look, not only his life is precious, he says, hey, Saul, you fool, you don't even see how precious your life is. You lay it on the ground in vengeance and anger. I cannot let you have, Saul, what God has given and made invaluable and priceless. What's been kissed by the divine. I can't let that, you have that. David could not give or let Saul take or abuse what God alone had given him. He could not and would not render to Saul what is God's alone. And he could not render to Saul what was not his, what God has put in him. Here's your destiny. Here's your calling. Here's your dignity to give. But what has been entrusted to him by God? Look, if you are in an abusive relationship uh, of some variation, maybe not exactly like David and Saul, but some kind of oppressive core draining and drilling of your God essential arrangement, it's God essentials. If you're in that kind of arrangement, I want you to recognize that you cannot and should not give what the Lord will only be calling you and giving you to be killed, to be abused. And I'm not talking about difficult hardships or difficult relationships or sacrificially offering where you are freely giving up something for God's glory. And as you freely giving it, he's sanctifying you and sanctifying the other person. And when I say sanctify, it means that giving of yourself and struggling through hardship and dealing with hard things in you and the other person is actually leading you into God's goodness, right? But I am talking about, like David says in verse 19, a situation, and I'm paraphrasing him in verse 19, that makes you driven out in such a way that, how does David put it? You should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods, right? Which means you are being mistreated so badly. It's causing you to sin. 
and causing you to believe God don't love you no more. That God has forgotten you. And that will make you vengeful. It's time to break it off. It may be time to run. It may be time to leave, to protest, to to set up protective boundaries. If you can't leave, boundaries. And the means and guidelines for that is different in every situation. And again, I can't do it here. I'm sorry. I can't go much deeper. But between you and a trusted friend or elder or pastor or counselor or therapist, I mean, these folk who, who are given gifts and abilities and training are, are out there. Maybe your community group can help you. But, but it is time. God is calling you into freedom from that irreconcilable place relationship where he alone is going to have to create space in and between and with that person's life and your life. In verse 19, David is telling Saul to take it up with the Lord. Let's make space for the Lord. Because right now you're you're hanging on to me and you're persecuting me and you're mistreating me for something that is empty in you, obviously, Saul. And something empty in me makes me want to uh, do it for you, right? Makes you want to stay in. Saul, we need to have space between us so that God can be like a a mediator, a median. Because I and my death won't be good enough and powerful enough and, and, and sacrifice enough for your problems with me. God alone can free you from what you're feeling, but I have to let go. I have to take my hands from around your neck. Or I have to take my hands out of your hands. So God can take your hand and take care of you, take care of me. And God have mercy on you, Saul. When we say no more, I can't keep being here or being here or being here like this and, and this way and this setup. You're saying, I'm going to give the Lord space to save my life <laughs> in the wilderness. To heal me. To take up my cause as he takes you on in your sin and life. And he'll be just when he does it. He has all kind of means, and I don't have time to get into all the different methods God uses. Freedom in this situation is the Lord confronting us where we make clear the reasons. Now hear me now. You make clear the reasons to the person. You saw what David did? From a safe distance and place. (laughs) Right? And it may require that we distance ourselves for safety and security, but so we can enter a place and space of, hear this word, y'all, sanctity. Where we can go into the sanctuary of the Lord. That means we go into the place where we can find our mind and heart in, in spiritual life again. That's been abused and crushed. And here's what I was going to say about protests. You know, protest, our justice systems. Y'all ready, kids, young people? Parental guidance, (laughs) church discipline, people holding you accountable, not abusing you, accountable. You know what they're created for? 
They're created to give the proper and right spaces and situation for abuser and abused to be visited by the Lord in the way they need to. For him to visit our lives and communities with justice and mercy and grace. But he does not require us being in a harmful relationship and staying in it to make that happen. You know, I, I come from, I, I'm on that, you know, the, the latter end of, 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 of some forms of, of evangelical Christianity and, and the way they saw marriage. So I think when I went through seminar, I probably had more training in this area when, when we think about counseling and marriage, right? That marriage issues, even abusive, it used to be about saving the marriage at all costs. Now, this is extreme, and I don't, I don't think I've ever done this, or maybe I, I didn't see it as a pastor. I, I don't know, but, but there have been so many times in the past where it was, just go back and work it out. Because the Bible says, you, you, you got to stay with that man who's abusing you. We didn't recognize what abuse was. We thought reconciliation, we thought that marriage was more important than the person knowing they have a heritage with the Lord. That they have an inheritance of love with God. And what happened is when you would send somebody back to that situation, and you would say, hey, God says you need to, you know, it don't matter if he's beating you. It don't matter whether he's starving you. It doesn't matter where he's forcing you to, 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 to be intimate. Those are, come on, just hang in there and he'll change. That's what the Bible says. And that is not what the Bible is teaching. We used to do it. I mean, I, I remember I used to think that way. And, you know, to our shame, it was, it was non-biblical counseling world that says, you know what? It is not. And even we would say, go to marriage counseling, go to marriage counseling. And then we learned later as I went to a number of domestic violence training that even a marriage counseling situation is it feeds the abuser and the oppressor because it keeps them engaged. The oppressor loves it. Loves the church. Because the church will put the person back in. And it's strange because we, our goal is so that people would see who they are in Christ. And yet abusive situations pull that and take that away and make them think some, eventually I'm sure some people thought, hey, I don't believe in God anymore because I'm back in this situation. God don't love me. I'm not going to get into this because I already preached too long, but I'm not getting into this. But it did hit me. We've even got to handle our call of racial reconciliation in the same way very carefully. Where we're forcing people into situations to talk about very harmful things and suffer their abuse in unsafe spaces so that we can feel good about our racial reconciliation church or that we doing it. You know, I had a good talk with my black friend. Your black friend is hurt. And sometimes you say, well, if this, this person won't talk to me about it, then something must be wrong with their relationship with the Lord. They ain't healed. <laughs> 
right? Let me tell you one of the tactics of abuse, and I was getting to spiritual abuse yet next. The, the, the tactic of spiritual abuse is this. If you don't respond to me horizontally in, 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 in the way that I want, not even a biblical way, then something's wrong vertically with you. Like, you don't have a good relationship with God. And, and, and look, I've seen all kinds of abuse, and I've been, I'm a victim of spiritual abuse. We, we, Kelly and I have been through it, where the line between servant and slave is very thin, where you feel like an oppressed slave of your faith, and you're lived out Christianity instead of being freed by it, right? L let me give you one indication. When you think about your faith, the drive of it, the pressure and anxiety of it, let me tell you what you see. You see faces of leaders, <laughs> And you hear in fear and are controlled by the gaze of someone who you have to please more than you know and are comforted by the way the Lord sees and is pleased with you. You don't know how many times I've been in a Christian organization. You don't know how many times as a pastor of a church and, and going to Presbyterian, going to General Assembly and going with other people. There's this situation where I'm like, I wonder what they're going to think. And not, not all of those were abusive situations, of course, but a spiritually abusive situation, when you're in it, it feels like, boy, I hope they love me today. And it has nothing to do with the love of God. And those in authority are not pointing you to seeing how the Lord sees and wants and loves you more than how, how, how you look doing and being what our ministry vision and mission looks like. We got to wear our t-shirt and wear our bumper sticker. If the ministry vision and mission no longer puts your life in the way of God's grace, right? It's irreconcilable with the gospel. If you're not in God's grace, if you don't cookie cut exactly the way this leader says you need to be. And in more extreme cases, they may say it, say it, but, 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 but leaving their spiritual circle or church or group is the same thing as leaving the faith. I'm not talking about right church discipline. I'm talking about make, they don't say it. It just feels that way. And they call you things beside Christian. Right, we were, at a, we were in Atlanta and we were like, yeah, we're Christians. We were at a pool and somebody was telling us to come to their church. Kelly, I think we remember the years and years ago when we were in Atlanta and, and we were like, we're Christians. And they said, well, we're world changers. Don't you want to be a world changer? I'm a Christian. No, don't you want to be a, what? Locked into this sort of side thing, right? And, and on the other side, breaking free will anger those who hold you. Let me let you know, when you break through, all hell will break loose. People who are in control get immediately angry. And sometimes, oh, I'm so sorry. And like Saul, all it takes is somebody to remind them. You're dead. You're done. They're coming after you because you won't give it their program. And trust me, I've been consider myself a controlling person and it's just this like he says a flea it's like this irritation this bug and you just want to slap it or kill it or destroy it because you just want them to get under control they would have rather have you expire spiritually and emotionally than not hold and have you under their control and if you're a power holder a pastor 
father, husband. It is a constant temptation. Letting go and creating space might be the road to reconciliation God wants, but let me go ahead and tell you, it will feel unfair and out of your control. It'll be a bad feeling, for, especially for some of us men, for our wives to be loved instead of controlled. It won't feel like love. What happened to my marriage? Your wife is actually knowing who she is in Christ Jesus. You are act- she is actually in a position where she's being washed by the word. Instead of washed over by your foolishness. Right? <clears throat> Let me end. Reconciliation and freedom from toxic relationships comes when God has space and takes out the abuser and oppressor and controller in us. And around us and heals the abused and oppressed in us. The Bible says that David took Saul's spear and jug away from Saul. And that it communicated. The following. Look at verse 20 again. Now, therefore, let my blood fall to the earth. Let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son, for I will no more harm you, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. Right? Let me tell you. When Jesus came to earth, y'all, he walked among us. And because those who were his were precious in his sight, he promised to take the spear and the jug from us and from and, and, and that, that between us, right? That we would no longer have to live by vengeance and control and abuse. And that we would no longer thirst for justice and hunger for our own version of righteousness at the expense of each other in our own souls. The Bible tells us that when Jesus hung on the cross, that a spear was stuck in his side. And that he was thirsty. And then he was separated by the abuse of humankind and sin separated from his father. Jesus came to experience the pains of our vengeance, the hunger we have for righteousness and reconciliation and the pain of separation in all forms so that he could go between us. So that he could be the mediator. He removed the spear. He took the the jug so that he could come and be the peace offering so that you and I can find spiritual life while we live in and through irreconcilable differences and boundaries. Because of Jesus and what what he did, we can know and find reconciliation with God who sees our lives as precious. And when you know that, Only then can we begin to see our and each other's lives as precious enough to run or provide freedom for another in our irreconcilable differences.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God even in this broken world where this happens, where we, 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 we can't have reconciliation. We can have forgiveness, but we can't have reconciliation in, in the same way we were joined before. I do pray for a church, especially like ours. We have a mix of all kinds of stuff. I'm not just talking about racial stuff, Lord. Well, all kind of relationships are in this church. All kind of cultural backgrounds. All kind of, uh, of, of basic foundational discipleship that, that makes us prime to be controlled and used and abused and guilty and anxious and scared. Free us, Lord Jesus. And as you free us, sustain us in the wilderness because we will feel lonely and we will feel separated. Some of our relationships join us to a broader community and leaving or walking away will leave us feeling alone and without you. But Lord, let us know and recognize that the precious inheritance and presence of the Lord goes with us wherever we are. Lord, I pray for us who are controlling, oppressive, abusive. We can only be healed in the God space by you. Help us, Lord. Help those of us who are carrying debt so huge emotionally and spiritually from being abused as kids by our parents or, or being bullied, Lord, that we're trying to pay for it by hurting somebody else. Help us. Pray for those who are out there again in the wilderness. Use this congregation. Use your people to be a place of rest and comfort in the wilderness of irreconcilable differences. Pray right now because here comes voting season, election season. And all kinds of stuff. And the ethnic differences in our church should have come up and the, the desire to stab somebody in the back or destroy them online or hate them. Help us, Lord. We, we can't do it. We, can, we cannot do it. Help us. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.